Hey everybody, it's March 9th Digital Bytes podcast with Johnny Fry and myself, James Tiley. See, I didn't say Johnny and me this time. Oh crap, I guess I just did. No, you, you are learning. You are learning. You, you, it's Johnny and I. Johnny and I. Johnny and myself. Johnny and myself. Even my, better. Do you realize, worked, right? Do you realize, I know this is listened to by the United Nations. It's one of the few radio stations they authorize but if we brush up on your english you might get invited to the queen's um jubilee platinum celebrations this um this summer how about that is that one of her multiple birthdays <laughs> we're going to get on to that later on but yeah I, I do think you should have two birthdays yeah you know the queen has them why can't why can't you have them her, you know her, sub, her subjects um in in the um, in the colonies as they used to say yeah i really want to be 46 twice twice <laughs> And that was stupid. Why did we fall out with with our American chums over a blooming over tea of all things to fall out with? And you know, if we'd stop taxing you on tea, then we'd still be mates, and you'd still have the Queen instead of old um, and cut it instead of JoJo. Well, as a New Yorker, clearly I blame Boston, right? I drink coffee, <laughs> coffee, coffee. <laughs> I drink coffee. Those guys over there in Boston playing with the tea. I don't know. I wouldn't have done it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there you go. There you go. Well, yeah. Well, so welcome to um, Digital Bytes, 9th of March, as you said, and the month that uh, came in with a roar, as you said. Um, and, you know, whether, <laughs> we're on a roll. We're on a roll with a roar for sure. <laughs> well, and I have been practicing my best line noises for you this week. That's, that's right. That awkward belch of a lion. That's the Chinese year, right? It is. You remembered year of the tiger, year of the tiger. So in this week, we've got um, we've got a whole load of different things we're talking about. Um, We're looking at how blockchain is impacting in the insurance industry. Um, Also looking at um, on a slightly more serious note, obviously, um, it's nearly coming up for a fortnight since the uh, conflict in Russia uh, or in Ukraine by the Russians and and looking at the potential impact um you know as a result of that in in a couple of different ways in terms of um clearly higher inflation um but also possibly a call for greater decentralization um and then coming up after the break we've got um a couple of very very entertaining i nearly said strange and odd well i i have now so there you go um we've got david uh, david abel um canadian by extract and another fellow cousin from across the pond, um, we got David Parsons, um, and they're from Trust Property Exchange, and they're and they're talking about financial ghouls versus the good, and talking about um, potentially how we could see mortgages being a thing of the past when it comes to buying um, your apartment or you know your castle in Florida. So um, be there, look for you. They're, they're good, very interesting, um, and what they're building, um, really interesting, sort of. Instead of digitizing the actual property, they're looking at effectively digitizing the land registry. So I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll come on and some interesting statistics. I know they've got for us, but um, so so where, where where do we start this week, James? What do you want to what do you want to chat about? Higher inflation is definitely on everybody's mind, at okay. least in America. How's it over by you? All right. Well, do you know, I was talking to some. I was talking to a journalist from. Um, from actually the BBC yesterday in, in London. And, and we, we both completely agreed that if you look at the measures of inflation 
um, you know, here in the UK and, 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 and certainly in the US. Inflation in the UK at the moment allegedly is only running um, in, in states at sort of, you know, six, seven percent, something like that. In the UK, we claim it's running at sort of you know, four or five percent. But the reality is it, it's actually much, much greater. Um, and that's before, um, you know, before we actually see some of the impacts um, of what's happened in the last couple of weeks in Ukraine. And, and the reason for that is that Russia and Ukraine, um, many people perhaps aren't aware, but um, not only are they, um, you know, certainly Russia is a very, very big exporter of petrochemicals. So I think in, um, in like Germany, for example, um, imports of gas from Russia account for about 40% of their gas production. So if we see, you know, the calls to, to stop using Russian gas by some countries, you know, it's not going to affect some countries, but it had a huge impact on, on Germany. Um, but perhaps what's not quite so well known, although in the last couple of days, we're beginning to see this. Um, and, and that is the impact um, to the global economy on food production. Um, and it was interesting to sort of look at a quote in a, in a publication called Farming Life. Not the sort of thing you'd normally think when you look in a sort of blockchain technology and digital assets. But, you know, that, as, as they said, you know, it boasts some of the most fertile land on Earth with rich black Shernazom, sorry for the pronunciation, um, a type of soil that's perfectly suited for growing grains. Um, it's extremely, extremely fertile. Um, and you, you have the quite worrying situation that last year, according to the Ukraine's Ministry of Agriculture, um, they, they grew something in excess of 85 million tonnes of different grains. Um, and they actually going to export we're looking to well, they exported last year 30 just under 34 million tons of corn and 25 million tons of wheat. And you think, well, so what? Well, the so what is that you've got vast tracts of Africa, um, you've got com- company countries like Egypt and Turkey, where 70 percent or up to 70 percent of their requirements of wheat for making bread come from Ukraine, and you've seen wheat prices escalate massively almost double in the in the last well almost the last year but certainly in the last few weeks and not only are the prices going up but the supply unless this conflict gets resolved pretty quickly and the farmers can get into the fields and actually you know get rid of all the sort of i don't know the detritus of a war and actually start planting their crops assuming the farmers themselves haven't been shot then we're going to see a shortage of food now, OK, we, you don't care, James, now because you've got an electric car. But, you know, I, I get pretty cheesed off when the price of petrol or, as you call it, gas, you know, we've seen that go up in the UK from, um, you know, it's gone up by about 50 percent in the last month. So it's gone up a lot. But if you can't, you already pay more. So you already pay more than us. Oh, yeah. We, yeah I, I did. I did slightly chuckle. I saw the um, a gallon of. Um, gas or petrol in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, shock horror has hit five dollars um, a, a gallon. Um, right, it's the end of the world for us. Yeah, but well, I was, as I said, I was in London yesterday and I saw one um, gas station or one petrol station over here, and the, it worked out the equivalent of over 10, um, 10 pounds. So that's fifteen dollars a gallon. Oh, God. So it's, you know, okay, I know you're, you know, I know you've joined, you've, you've gone over to the sort of the electric side and you're, 
you're very happy with your, your black BMW that uses, um, you know, solar energy to power it, no doubt, or your, or your guinea pig sort of got a sort of some sort of type generator, but, you know, that's another story. But my, my worry is, look, you know, if you can't use your car because you can't afford it, um, well, that's, that's it's, it's, not, it's not the end of the world, but it's not great. If you can't heat your home because you're freezing cold, well, you can put more clothes on or you can, you can probably somehow just to get around it, potentially. But if you can't eat, you can't afford to feed your family, that's when you're going to have major, major civil unrest. And, and, and we, we put some charts in this week's Digital Bites where, you know, over the, last, um, over the last year, you look at the price of wheat, you look at the price of corn, you look at the price of then aluminium. Aluminium is up nearly 80%. And, and these price increases are before they're factored in that things like sort of um, aluminium, um, you know, 14% of the world's production comes from, uh, from Russia. You know, titanium, 22% comes from Russia. Nickel, up 80%. And these are all before we take an account of high fuel prices. And any manufacturing industry that relies on fuel to actually create goods are going to see a huge increase in the cost of manufacturing. And, you know, we're just about old enough. Uh, well, certainly in the UK, I remember back in the seventies, James, you know, we used to only have the lights on three days a week, literally. So it was great news because I could only do three fifths of my homework um, because the lights were turned off because we simply, you know, couldn't afford, we had the miners strike and we had all sorts of hassles going on because at that stage, we'd seen the price of a barrel of oil go from $3, believe it or not, to $28 shock horror. And now um, this week, um, we've actually seen the price of oil at one stage hit over $145 a barrel. Now, that's good news for some countries, you know, Venezuela, a lot of the Middle East, Russia itself, that, that actually produces a lot of oil. And, and funny enough, Canada and the USA, you know, you're, you know, you're a huge producer um, of, of petrochemical products. But big swathes of um, Africa, India, Europe. Asia, they are very, very reliant on petrochemicals. And this is going to have an impact. And you're probably thinking, hang on, hang on, I, I didn't need an economics lecture. I've, I've tuned into you know, a rock station, Cyber.fm. Well, so what? So, and what's this got to do with blockchain? Well, we believe what this has got to do with blockchain is that what's happened, we've seen Russia coming under all sorts of sanctions. And as a result, um, their stock market has gone into freefall. Um, you've seen the price of the ruble collapse and you've seen the stock market actually being closed. Now, bear in mind, there's something in excess of 41,000 companies that are listed throughout the world and trade on various different stock exchanges. If those different equities, stocks and shares were traded in a digital format and then they could be therefore traded a little bit like digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, and they could be traded on you know, the equivalent of Coinbase and BitPay and Binance and Kraken. They had a variety of different exchanges that were trading. If one exchange goes down, then it wouldn't matter. You could still make a price in those actual assets. Because what we've seen now is um, the Russian stock market shut and you basically can't make a price. And the impact on that is you know, anyone that's got exposure to an emerging markets fund, whether it's a mutual fund in your pension, your 401k or personal pension here in the UK, um, or it might be, um, you know, some sort of ETP or ETF, a fund that's traded. In theory, you should be able to trade that every day, but you can't because they can't 
give you a fair price because they don't know what the price is because the stock market's shut. And, and people are beginning to look at this and say, well, hang on, surely it'd be better if we could actually have, if you like, the assets, whether it be stocks and shares, whether it be commodities, whether it be you know, fixed interest debt instruments, have those in a digital format, and then they could actually be trade 24-7 without the need to worry about is one exchange shut because of the, the, the trading would then be taken up in Paris or New York or, you know, or Auckland or Sydney or, or wherever it may well be. So, so there are a couple of things, you know, the inflation aspect and this sort of more interest in decentralization um, that seems to come out over the last couple of weeks, as we've seen, you know, some of the uh, fallout from what's been happening in Ukraine. Kind of like they could just make it up as they go along now. Make up the price, right? Right. Make up the price. Well, the, the, the trouble is, if you're if you're someone like Vanguard or Templeton or BlackRock or you know, you know these massive investment management firms, you know, no, they can't just make it up because if you go and sell your holding and suddenly realize, oh my goodness, they just made up the price, then you actually got you know ten thousand dollars less than you should have done. Well, the SEC is going to be knocking on the asset manager's door and say, why did you quote that price on what basis? So what we're seeing is that the these big asset management companies are actually freezing um, their funds. They're not actually give, making a price for buyers or sellers because they don't know what the price is. And, and the other impact that we're beginning to see, and this is, I think it's of note to sort of consider, is there are discussions of actually cutting off um, and not buying um, any fuel from um, the Russians, you know, they gas and their oil. Well, what happens if the Russians turn and say, well, you can only buy you know, our grains, our potash for your fertilizers, um, you know, our oil, our gas, we'll only buy it if you give us gold. And I think this is something yeah, also right. to look at because we've seen many, many people talk about Bitcoins being digital gold. Well, a lot of people still put a lot of faith in gold. And the Russians have been one of the bigger, along with the Chinese, buying gold as a way to hold their wealth. And there has been some discussions that the, um, the value of the, of the ruble the Russian currency, is actually less than the value of Bitcoin. But if you actually look at their alleged foreign currency reserves and look at their gold reserves, could we, could we see the ruble being held up as a currency which is becoming more and more backed by something physical and tangible, i.e. gold? Because they're actually sitting on quite a lot of gold, and if they start trading their commodities for gold, they're going to start building up more and more gold. And so the ruble, which at the moment, you know, many, many people wouldn't want to touch for, you know, a variety of political, personal and financial reasons. Suddenly you could see people say, well, hang on, of all the currencies in the world, maybe you've actually got, you know, you could buy the ruble as a play on on gold because if the situation deteriorates much further. Then I suggest that you're going to see the likes of gold and silver actually perform very, very strongly because it will be seen as a potential safe haven. Um, it's, it's done okay, but it's not gone up anywhere near as you thought it was, given the current conflict that we've got literally in, in, in Europe. So, yeah, just just worth just worth keeping an eye on that one, I think, James. Yeah, and ironically, gold is uh, finally starting to hit some highs. Yeah. Might be ironic. It's been a, it's been a while. And it's been a talk, while. And talking about insurance, because at the end of the day, you know, gold is seen as an insurance against uncertainty. It's seen as you know, hold some gold just in case, you know, inflation really does take off. And, you know, this, this whole thing about inflation, I think what people kind of forget, if you, if, if you, if you, if you owe, if you, if you created a lot of debt, like governments have, and issued lots of debt, then 
there's a variety of ways to get rid of your the money that you've, you've lent people. One of them is that you pay them back. Well, governments at the moment are producing more debt than they are surplus. So their debt piles are getting bigger. So they're not going to do that. You can default on it. You can just say, no, we're not going to pay it back. And we've seen many smaller countries in Latin America and, and Africa in particular just say, we're not repaying your debt. So if you're holding it, tough. Well, I don't think that's going to happen in the short term in some of the more developed economies. Or you have a dose of inflation. Because what happens is the notional value of your debt goes down by, if we have, if we have inflation of 10%, effectively the, the amount of your debt is going down by 10% a year. And, and the people that suffer, the people that have got non-inflation linked pensions and earnings and assets that aren't going up by as much as inflation. But for, for, the, for the creators of the debt, bizarrely inflation is not a bad way to try and sort out the balance sheets. Um, but it's, a, it's an insidious thing and it creates a huge amount of civil unrest. Um, and we had, it, we had strong inflationary powers, pressures building up already. And what's happened in the last couple of weeks is only stoking those sort of prices. But yeah, so that's, you know, but, but sorry, but just uh, the mention about insurance and gold being like a type of insurance. And, right. and what we're seeing here is how blockchain technology is being used in a variety of different ways in, in the insurance sector. Um, and because historically, you know, insurance was um, really sort of conducted um, using a lot of sort of paper-based contracts um, and, you know, face-to-face meetings and and, you know, you've got it in Chicago and you've certainly got it in Lloyd's of London here where, you know, literally people would walk around with bundles of paper and they would say, well, look, OK, well, I want to insure that ship or that oil rig or that solar power station or that shopping centre. Well, OK, well, I'll take on 10 percent insurance and he'll take on 5 percent and she'll take on 6 percent. And, and so they let, it's called laying off the risk. So if there is a problem or a calamity or a claim, then the, the, the cost of that claim is spread between those bit different people. Um, and, and that paper-based analog system is, you know, is always open for sort of tampering or lost information. But by digitizing the information using sort of blockchains, you can actually see how you can process and automate a lot of the current, pro- a lot of the current systems um, and a lot of the information. And again, as we've talked many, many times, one of the better things about um, blockchain technology is it creates more transparency. And with that transparency, hopefully comes trust because you you know the information and you can see the risk perhaps better or you've got clarity as the claims payment and that in theory should potentially lead to lower insurance claims so finally we're beginning to see you know insurance being used in in a a variety of different ways whether it be parametric insurance or help for fraud fraud detection um you know paying out claims on an automatic basis so we've listed a a whole variety of different ways where we're seeing um, the the insurance sector being sort of, you know, shook, shook up and challenged by the use of blockchain technology. And those that are using it are able to start stealing a competitive edge over some of the other companies and underwriters that perhaps less inclined to use this sort of technology. Yeah, just imagine an entire cybersecurity insurance company insuring another tokenized type company. That's a vicious loop. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. Um, well, oh, you but, think about but, what's, what's going on. Uh, they're, they're not talking too much, but they are bringing it up about cybersecurity with you know, cyber warfare. Well, there was something um, yesterday, the day before, on the BBC World Service, and they were interviewing the Ukraine interior information officer. 
no idea there was such a person there, but obviously there is. And he claimed that they had 300,000 people um, in Ukraine that were basically now focused on hacking and cybersecurity. And, you know, arguably the whole thing of cybersecurity is, you know, well, it's very, you know, it's been weaponized. You know, how many, you know, how many stories have we seen? Um, it was only nearly this time last year we saw the Colonial Pipe where they someone managed to hack in and shut down the, the flow of fuel along the eastern seaboard. Um, and they, you know, a cyber attacker got in there and managed to shut it down and say, right, unless you pay us a ransom, um, we're not going to turn it back on. And, you know, whether, whether it is true or not, that, you know, there are certain countries which are consistently being accused of actually carrying out these, these cyber attacks. But one thing that Ukraine, I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this change, but certainly in the UK, we see a lot of projects that are using blockchain technology because they use cryptographic security in the blockchains. A lot of companies have actually turned and outsourced their blockchain development work to Ukraine. And indeed, one, one of our, the, the third biggest fintech business in Europe is a, is a payment platform called Revolut, set up by Ukrainian. Um, so they've got some very, very clever, mathematically minded people, has in, as indeed Russia has as well. But there's uh, very strong uh, rumours now circulating that part of the defence of Ukraine is to employ these 300,000 cyber hackers to try and get in and, um, if you like, blindside, you know, the, the aggressors and the Russians and actually say, well, no, no, you know, if we can get and hack your systems and procedures, then we can cause, dis- you know, as much disruption, if, if not more than, you know, firing a bullet or, you know, flying a plane or what have you. Yeah, I would definitely take the uh, prior over the ladder. We don't. Yeah. We don't need weapons. Just take them out. Take out their laptops. No more Twitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no more Twitter. Well, yeah. I should imagine there's a fair few very unhappy people in Russia with no no Twitter and no Facebook and you know etc. But but the trouble is is that they've still got troops on the ground and firing bullets and there's a you know it's but it's a, it's a combination now. It's a combination of different types of um, aggression and and I think cyber is certainly very much one of them and and the ability you, know, you imagine you know you're you're trying to you know, leave any one country, you know, obviously this is, we've got the biggest number of evacuees since World War II in Europe at the moment. I reckon it's, you know, coming up for 2 million people that have fled. And if I said to you, James, you've got to jump in your, well, you can't even jump in your car. You've got to, you know, get out of your house and you've got to take with you as much as you can. Well, the chances are you're not going to get a chance to go down to the bank. If you did go down to the bank, um, they're not going to give you any cash. Whereas if you've got your assets in a digitized format on your digital wallet, well, when you get into Moldova or Romania or Poland, um, then, you know, you can get into an Internet cafe and you can then get access to to your monies. So, again, you can see why people are looking at this as a way to perhaps give themselves a bit of insurance to protect themselves from you know, some sort of eventuality like that, as opposed to someone like I, I just you know, I, I couldn't carry my bar of gold around with me. You know, I might have slipped over or, you know, I couldn't get to the bank to get my cash out. And it's all, all a bit too late, you know, after the event. So you can see why digital assets, um, including some of the cryptocurrencies, can be seen as a, as a safer haven in, in times of uncertainty like this. Yeah, you're carrying your bank account around on you. Yeah. No more, well, no more bank runs. No more bank runs. And, and to be fair, that kind of leads into our guests after the break, you know, and that. What they're proposing um, is they're saying, well, OK, well, why can't your house be your bank? Because if you look at the global value of real estate, 
it's running at around 326 trillion trillion compared to the amount of cash that's circulating around the world in people's bank accounts and hidden under mattress and in suitcases for various nefarious activities but they know it's there because they've printed it that's 40 trillion so you're talking at almost nine times the amount of value is locked up in bricks and mortar well if you could actually say well okay james i'm going to buy you you know i'm going to buy you a pint of warm ale when you're over here in blighty or you know you're going to get me you'll probably buy me a margarita or some sort of fancy pants drink like that when you want to see you um, warm ale but we could use our house we could use you know equivalent of a couple of bricks off our off our property to pay for that drink now with the digitization of assets that's something which um you know tpx is saying is very very achievable it's something with their exchanges that are setting around the world that's what they want to do use your house effectively as your bank and um you know not not leave the money in the bank where you don't know where the bank's going to lend the money to or are the banks going to go bust like we saw with shears and etc but put the money in bricks and mortar that most people have a lot of confidence over. So, but, that, but more on that after the break. But interesting times, James. Our money would literally be safe as a house. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. But you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, there, that's going to be an interesting uh, show. And coming up after this, right? Yep, just after this. But obviously for, for new listeners, if um, you know, Jack, James and I do um, the Digital Byte show every week, looking at how, where, and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in different industries and different jurisdictions. And if you'd like a copy, um, it comes out um, every Wednesday, once a week. Um, happy to get, a, get, get you on the list. Just contact James at cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry at Team Blockchain. We're both um, on LinkedIn and happy to um, you know, send you the hard copy, but otherwise we're, we're on the air on cyber.fm um, and you know just give me a, an idea and some thoughts as to some of the things that are going on in different countries industries um, with the technology in this new asset class you don't say it anymore i'm gonna have to start saying it again the j-o-double-n-y fry <laughs> absolutely no h no h they're gonna check your name in there on linkedin yeah i'm hless i'm hless homeless james h for home H for homeless and James obviously Ty Lee, not Ty Law. I'm not Ty Ling. I get Ty more Lee. mail in the regular old school snail mail. I oh, get yeah. everything Tyler. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Tyler. Well, one of our clients is called Tyler actually. Right? Works for works for Copper. I don't know if you if you're listening, Tyler, but um yeah, you probably but we've got in a couple of weeks now, um, because we got we got a, we got a gentleman coming up um from a company called Checked doing a guest uh, interview and He's he's like many Scottish people. He has two surnames. His name's Fraser Edwards. So you think, well, is it Edward Fraser or Fraser Edwards? But that's quite common with Scottish people. So you're lucky, James Tyler. We all know what it is. You're not going to be Tyler James, are you? Well, <laughs> you know, in the US, they say you never trust a guy with two first names. So if you have two surnames, maybe you're extremely trustable. Maybe. But then, then in Iceland... They, they, you are, you know, let's say, so your son would be um, James' son, and mine would be oh. Johnny's son. So you call your son after your name. So Magnus Magnuson was a famous guy here in the UK, used to do quiz shows. And presumably your son would be, Je- then your grandson would be Jameson's son. Son, son. Of course, say that after you had a couple of sherbets. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not doing that, man. <laughs> 
Right, we better go. Um, after the break, I say we'll be back with TPX. Um, so that's uh, Tony Abel and um, David Parsons talking about um, using your home as a bank account. Yeah, exciting stuff. It's going to be coming up in like two minutes. You are listening to the brand spanking new Cyber.fm. The FM stands for free money. Well, I must admit, I, I, I've got my heart in my mouth when I asked uh, Tony and uh, David to join us today because um, they um, a couple of very interesting characters, um, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a moment. But more interestingly, they're, they're doing something with real estate, which is absolutely fascinating because there's been a lot of people talking about the digitization, the tokenization, the fractional ownership of, of property. And, and you look at what's going on and it's not it's not very different to what REITs have been doing for years. And as you know, many of the listeners will be aware, you know, the REITs market is something in the order of sort of 60 billion in size. And the, and the assets tend to trade at a big discount to um, the net asset value. But TPX potentially have come up with something um, very different. Um, and I've written an article in this week's Digital Bytes called Financial Ghouls versus the Good the battle royale to kill mortgages. So, Tony, David, welcome to the show. And before we get into the article, perhaps you can just give a quick introduction to um, yourselves and how you got together and, um, you know, what, what your background was before you got involved with blockchain technology and the sort of digitization of property. Sure. Uh, Johnny, thanks very much for that, James. Good to be here. Um, I, I, I'd like to say that, you know, David and I first met on a, a hot date about six years ago. Um, <laughs> but in actual fact, we go, we go a little bit further back than that. 15 years ago, give or take a bit, um, David and I uh, started to work together on some of the technology. I've, I've been working on technology in London, uh, been about, 20, uh, about 25 years, I guess, give or take a bit. Um, I've been launching technology companies out of London. Uh, David and I started to work together on, on some uh, infrastructure plays. Um, he came to me about 2011, started to grind me down about all things crypto and cryptology. Uh, eventually, after about two years, and I'd run out of the normal cynical responses that all of us in the private equity industry tend to have for these things, uh, he convinced me that this is where the future lay. And in 2016, we set up our company, Universal Trust Me Engine Limited, known as Trust Me. Uh, and the following year, we decided uh, to focus not so much on blockchain, but on the broader application of blockchain into the marketplace and particularly into property. And that's where we focus in 17. Brilliant. Brilliant. And David, what, what, so um, Tony was Tony was a money man and set up a few businesses. What did you what did you been doing prior to sort of getting involved with um, Tony? Well, my background is uh, cryptography. I was prior to working with Tony, I was working on uh, some cryptographic mechanisms that allowed uh, different organizations to track and trace and to use uh, crypto assets. So in that in that technical implementation of those. IT infrastructure, uh, this is where it became quite evident and quite obvious is that this is the new way to move assets. And that's that's how I convinced Mr. Abel here uh, to uh, form this company and start doing this. This is the future. Or, or it, ha- it has arrived, I should say. <laughs> okay. And you've, you've, you've started off your article um, with, oh, I had no idea that the word ghoul comes from Arabic. Um, I don't know. Can either of you pronounce in Arabic the the word? Gual, gual, gual. Oh. Yeah, gual. Oh, I could have done that, but it means to seize. Is that yeah, correct? Exactly, to seize. So, in effect, it is to seize, to consume voraciously. Uh, it is a, a gluttony. So, you use it as one of the seven deadly sins, 
in that context. So it is voracious eating, pigs at the trough, where there's no other alternative. Uh, and this, this, I would say, some people would say this is a very, this is a very, um, to refer to the financial industry as ghouls. Uh, some people would refer, would would suspect that's probably a a, a milk toast uh, uh, description of what they're what they're doing. Some Hang on, what's a milk eat, toast? I've never heard of a milk toast. A milk toast is plain vanilla, nothing there, not very exciting. So oh. some people, yeah, some people would describe the financial industry and how the uh, how the creation of money is uh, done as an other more non uh, non uh, more pejorative terms. So that's that's why we I think we 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 stayed with financial ghouls. But what's happening? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, so, think, I think most financial services companies have been called worse than being sort of. Uh, <laughs> Uh, ghoul ghoulish in their behavior you know if, if they're so fairly avarice especially with their sort of compound interest rates that they tend to exactly and it is a monopoly so and by the way in the in great britain and in the u.s we elected our officials to give them a monopoly on this creation of units of account or u.s dollars or great british pounds so it's it is our fault that they're in this position not somebody else's fault uh, just right. keep so that our, our observation in all of this is, is we realize how money was created within the system, how digital money in particular is created in the system, and not always to the advantage of those who live and work in it. So we realized many years ago that in a current economic cycle, there is an opportunity, a very unique opportunity, by which uh, money, what we all consider money, what we buy our coffees with, could actually end up being rebased in a high inflation environment in something else. And from you're very worried about inflation, aren't you, both of you? Well, yeah, we, we, we saw it coming. Yeah. We saw it coming many years ago, um, and we sat down with the supervisory board of one of the central banks and ran through some of their financial models. And, and uh, both they and us came to the conclusion that our financial monetary system, on the current set of rules that they're running, was running out of steam. The road had started to run out. Um, <laughs> not only was it uh, no longer paved, uh, but the can that everyone was kicking down of it was uh, full of more holes as it went along. And so therefore, we end up in a situation without being too uh, warmongering or scaremongering on this one, um, where we're in a situation where money itself is changing. The nature of money itself is changing. The nature of money in our economic and financial systems is changing. And lo and behold, uh, there are many out there and people are becoming increasingly aware of it, of the digital economy that's coming into being now. Um, based on blockchain technologies, uh, digital assets, you'll hear in the language quite often out there. Um, these are all parts of the process. Each of them uh, has its own application. Um, what we also realized is it wasn't enough to believe in a libertarian utopia about how this world is going to end up. And none of us are strong enough uh, in our opinions to necessarily be able to foretell that. But fundamentally, we are changing the nature of our economies. We're moving to a digital asset economy. And increasingly, the assets in our economy can be formed into digital representations of them. And those assets increasingly are able to move and increasingly able to trade. And also, as we can see from the crypto world and BTC, can be used in the purchase for goods, service, goods and services. Um, so if you do a mapping from real world assets, via the blockchain, the crypto technologies, a few others as well, the technologies in there, into a regulated environment where people are safe, 
um, then all of a sudden we can actually foretell a world, we believe, uh, and essential promise premise of, of what the TPX exchanges are doing, where you can use your property to buy a cup of coffee in real time around the world. Okay, so Tony, let me, let me, let me come in there, because um, to be fair, you know, I've, I've been talking to David you since probably 2017, definitely 2018, and I have yeah. to be absolutely candid, um, partially because I'm, I'm in the same camp, but you've been, both of you have been very, very vociferous about inflationary pressures building up, um, even four or five years ago. And when it was very, very um, not the done thing, people believed inflation was dead. Um, but here we are now sort of in March and we're looking at inflation rates, certainly in the US, the highest they've been in 40 years. And the reason that we talk about inflation and I know it's something you're very concerned about, is what are the hedges? How do you protect yourself against inflation? Or where should people position themselves? And that comes back to real estate, because we're big, we're, well, we're already seeing um, in many economies, the house prices and commercial real estate as a whole, being performing very strongly, hasn't it? Indeed. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, just to, just to touch on that question is right now is that you've seen the normal cycle, the normal economic cycles, you see cash goes to the ground. They go to purchase real estate assets as the best way to make your investment, your cash inflation resistant. So in the past year or almost two years now, you've seen, uh, especially in the United States, you've seen a massive buildup of purchasing, a frenzy of buying whatever properties are available. Now, that's actually slowing down in terms of available properties. So the market is actually decreasing with the number of available properties available because people realize that's the best place to store your wealth is in the ground, so to speak. So now, as we, as we go forward with monetary inflation, and when I say specifically monetary inflation, that's how much the government prints up from year to year, right? It's not demand inflation. It's not resource inflation. It is monetary inflation caused by the politicians. That's the only place that it comes from. Nowhere else. And right. and and that it disfavors tremendously the working the working of the regular folk who own property or who have regular jobs. So or by pensions. now, yeah. So now my or pensions, you know, the, the the folks who are now dependent upon state pensions from the government. So all of this leads to now is as Tony was allu- alluding to earlier is that you see it already in the crypto market. The value for Bitcoin, the value for Ethereum, where it's going up dramatically compared to uh, fiat. All of this now is clearly focusing on the fact that government monetary inflation, where they print it up, and that's where it comes from, nowhere else. The politicians, by the way, we voted for them. Now folks are looking for where else can I invest my cash? What else can I use as a unit of exchange? I do not want to use my great British pounds or my U.S. dollars anymore because I'm losing value monthly. It's a melting ice cube. So what do I do? And the natural thing in all of this is going back to historical. We're basing it on property that you cannot create out of thin air. The property right. property naturally restricts the monetary supply, and that makes it very highly, highly inflation resistant. You can see okay, it on so the it, yeah. it, in simple forms. You can't print up more property. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so okay, so against an inflationary backdrop, given we've now got new um, technical tools that we can use, you know, we, we've touched on blockchain, AI, big data, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What what we're saying is that. 
a a one of the um, one of the better known, one of the favourite, if you like, ways to protect yourself in a high inflation environment is real estate. The downside is I can't just take a brick off the top of my chimney and say, well, there you go. I want to go and buy a pint of beer or want to buy you know a bag of lettuce. So it's very difficult to consume, to use your property, to even use your, you know, to use the expression using your house as your bank. It's very difficult to do that, isn't it? Exactly. You have to take out a loan. You have to take out an equity loan. You have to go back to the you have to go back to the bank and they make it liquid. The central bank or your bank makes your house liquid by you forcing you to take a debt, right? Which they love, right? That's how they make it. Isn't great if interest rates are going up. Yeah, Especially so now, yeah. So as if you look back forty years, as you were explaining earlier, the interest rates were jacked up to eighteen percent in order to stop the inflation from the nineteen seventies, right? If that happens here, most likely, eventually, it will have to happen if you want to get the interest rates, uh, the monetary inflation down. So you'll be experiencing maybe in three or four years another eighteen percent interest rates in order to take that, uh, in order to liquefy your house. And we're offering something different. We're offering the direct asset the fungalization of your home with creating multiple titles to your home and being able to use those as units of exchange in commerce as a medium of exchange, right? Medium as a medium of exchange. The key thing here for the the listeners um, is um, this is, this wasn't really truly possible even three years ago. Um, The, the advent of the blockchain technologies, the trust systems, uh, the, anti-money laundering systems, uh, the verifications, validations against government database. Uh, Government still has its role to play in this. Um, Taxes still need to be paid because that's how the system works. That's how the police and everybody else, whether you like them or not, uh, get uh, looked after. That's how the fire department shows up at your door. Um, So it's a question of creating a system that makes sure that our social norms are looked after um, while making sure that we're not reliant upon uh, the government printing presses to be paid. So ultimately, um, about three years ago, uh, the um, industry started to come up with um, technologies called Uniswaps or automated uh, market makers. And that changed everything. Before the tokenization of property was almost an impossibility because you could tokenize a property, but if it wasn't liquid, who'd really want it? You have a tokenized property, who are you gonna sell it to? There's no marketplace. So our approach is very much a market's approach, is to look at what the market wants, not the technology guys, uh, not the the arm-waving entrepreneur with great excitement in his voice. Uh, What we wanted to do was to make sure what the market needed and wanted, and then to reverse that back into the technologies. So uh, what people want, well, what they really want to do is to be able to buy stuff with their mobile phone. Uh, That's what it all nets down to. Um, and so we created systems by which you can effectively take a property, put it on your mobile phone and use it to buy that cup of coffee in less than half a second. And to make sure that you're not exposed to the fiat economy, to the inflation. Don't forget, as David highlighted earlier, um, the lovely thing about property is, by and large, it's inflation resistant and it appreciates in value over time. Slowly, not in a volatile sense, but uh, quite systemically and, and quite slowly over time. So. You, would you rather trust uh, your, your, your cup of coffee uh, to be paid for out of crypto with all this volatility, or would you rather use a property certificate with the same facilitation and ease uh, and be able to know that that uh, has a value that you can be largely certain of in the future? Uh, okay. If we get all this correct, uh, 
and this is a big statement, which I don't mind making at this stage because we're far enough down the path. We would anticipate most people would be preferred not to be paid in crypto, not to be paid in fiat. But if we get this just right in the future, most will want to be paid in our property certificates because that's the far more stable unit of account and they know what the value of their future payments are. Blimey, so the next world reserve currency could actually be um, one that's backed by property there, not by politician promises. That, that is part of the thinking. Uh, the lovely thing about property is there's 300, uh, 300 and last count, 365 trillion of it. Um, and the amount of money, liquidity that we have in our global economic systems is just over about 230 trillion. Um, so there's enough headroom in property that theoretically property could become the new base currency in the future. Now, we don't pretend that it's us. Uh, we might take 50 years, it might take 100 years. Um, what we do know is we can make an immediate difference to people who are struggling in a high inflation economy. If they have access to property, uh, then they have access to, to the ability to look after and feed themselves when they find out their, their money isn't worth as much as they thought it was, and its purchasing power, its value is not as great as they had originally anticipated when they planned their futures 20 years ago. Oh, okay. uh, and these are in, in, in your article, though, um, you, you talk about death of the mortgage, which is another quite dramatic statement. But David, why why doing what you're doing, do you think, could possibly herald certainly stiff competition, if not ultimate death of, of a mortgage? What, why, what leads you to that conclusion? Well, clearly a mortgage, a mortgage is given by a bank that is maintained by the central bank, which turns your house into a liquid asset through a debt. You have to take a mortgage and you have to you have to use your house as collateral and that's how it works right, right. so now uh, and that's called uh, until you pay off that mortgage uh, in french it means the death of the pledge that's why we call it the death pledge uh, that is right now the only way that you can typically uh, buy your house over time by having it hypothecated over a long period of time now a new way of doing it this is the way we're this we're, we're enabling with our system is now being able to sell off part of your property, right? You still maintain uh, occupancy of your property, the rights to occupy and use your property. But now through the technology such as blockchain, now you're able to incrementally sell off uh, the capital, some of the capital uh, asset value of your property to, to folks around the world instantaneously within thousands of a second. And that now enables folks who wish to pay off their mortgage, they can pay, they can sell off 20% of their house or 30% of their house and extinguish their mortgage or kill their mortgage. For, for, for the broad audience, uh, in the UK, they call this equity release uh, formally, uh, which patently was not a very fair system because it forced you to take a new mortgage. So what we're doing is we're bypassing the intermediaries, we're bypassing the equity release or the remortgage market and going directly to the OTC global marketplace, ostensibly anybody with a mobile phone who can pass local anti-money laundering laws of each of our exchanges. So they can open a client account and they can buy a piece of your property when you wish to sell it. No, you might only want to sell 10 pounds of it. Um, selling 10 pounds of your house was inconceivable, uh, yeah. you know, even until a, a few years ago. Most people who are listening to this will probably still think it's inconceivable. Um, yeah. But that's what we've enabled. Trusted system, legal title of property that you can buy and sell at your heart's content 
Uh, and yeah. the way that we've constructed it is it's all designed to be working off your mobile phone, as well as, yes, the institutional screens and the trading systems. This has been, without naming them, well-received by central banks and financial institutions. Um, this well, is, yeah, because it's uh, going to unlock, you know, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 percent of, well, just in the UK. What, what's the value of unencumbered property, i.e. without a mortgage in the UK? I think you said it was, was it five and a half trillion pounds? Exactly. 5.5 trillion. There's no liens, charges or liabilities on those properties. Wow. So those people, now, could, if, they, if they suddenly unlocked just 5% of that, that's 250, nearly 260 billion fiscal stimulus. Because if I go and sell 5% of my property, chances are I'm going to give it to the kids or I'm going to go on a holiday or spend it, upgrade the car, whatever. I The multiplier effect of that in economies could actually be a great way to re-stimulate economies without taking on another Absolutely. slug of debt then yeah in our in our uh, you know in our modeling um you know we've looked at this and we do believe uh, with a full deployment of our exchanges after about three years we can shift the gdp of any country we deploy it um mm-hmm. simply for that reason because we're making illiquid assets highly liquid we drive mm-hmm. tax receipts we drive economic mm-hmm. activity but for the first time it's not at the corporate level where monetary policy has arguably failed in the past. Uh, giving a corporate more money usually results in them buying more of their own shares. It doesn't actually result in increased stimulus and more economic activity and more taxes for the government. We directly empower that. And so in our no, discussions with the central banks and governments, yeah, this is something that they're intensely interested in because it gives yeah. them a new model. Yeah, the, the, the money goes directly into the person who's using the property, goes right into their pockets directly. It bypasses the typical debt mortgage bank cycle. And this goes direct, directly into the user's hands where it's needed today, right? And for, and for the banks and monetary policy, the monetary policy units, is they actually get an asset this time. They don't, okay. they don't uh, right. give a stimulus to a corporate. They actually get a physical asset in their own nation state, which has a future value. Brilliant. James, James I'm, I'm conscious we're getting towards the end of the show. And I, as you can gather, I could talk to these guys all day long because I find the, the macroeconomic side of it, um, as as fascinating because it's completely and totally applicable as as the use of the technology and, and the like. But before we wrap up, any, any thoughts that spring to your mind about what the guys are saying? Well, you know the the cybersecurity side of me, or maybe just the smart ass side of me. I, I have so many questions that I can't cover it in the show. But I started thinking about like fifty one percent attacks, right? Uh, you know, in a network and on blockchain, if you have fifty-one percent attack, you could take over the network. So, I mean, do you guys envision some sort of protection where me, the village idiot in southeast Georgia, doesn't put up more than fifty-one percent of his house? I mean, is that even an issue? And if so, how do we evaluate that? And how do you know, like, what side of the tracks I live on? I guess the valuation is my questioning and. Can I be irresponsible as a as a as a seller? Well, I think I think I, I think I'm going to answer this. I think in terms yeah. of the way that the equity markets, when when stocks are put onto the equity exchanges, right, they're offered for public. It's typically people won't buy it if it's overvalued. The market decides. The market decides with, of course, the underwriter if there's an underwriter with it to give you advice. Is this the right price? Is it not? Right. But it's ultimately the market will decide if I'm going to purchase your house. Right. This is the mass crowd. This is the crowd effect. So uh, the, the folks purchasing your house will make a decision if I'm going to purchase. I'm going to take a high risk on you. You have no previous 
historical experience, right? Or you have done 10 homes already. So the market itself will decide and it'll be a hybrid from having somebody else give them advice in terms of are you a good risk or is the house value valuable at that, uh, at that point? And, and James, to help you out, every property that IPOs on our exchange, uh, initial property offering, uh, goes through a deal room structure for price verification validation. Um, it has utter, utter transparency. Search details, uh, due diligence details, uh, survey results are all permanently stored on blockchains. Um, all the historic pricing for that property is available. And in most countries, you have a lot of um, information in terms of like-for-like pricing of properties in, that, in a given area. So for us, we're making stability in the asset one of its greatest features. Um, in a world where crypto and volatility is much sought after by the traders and those who, who have get-rich-quick schemes, um, we offer stability and utility in the asset and the way that it's used in the financial system. And it's only the new technologies that we've, we've developed and, and are using uh, and, and the way that the market has now performed that we're able to do this in the first time. Uh, and Tony, to answer, answer James's question directly, because it's one of the questions I, I asked when I first looked at what you're doing, James, you, you can't sell more than, um, you know, 50, you know, more than 49.9% of your house because otherwise you'd find yourself being evicted because someone basically owns the majority of your house and then you'd have to get out. So their systems are set up. Yeah, so let's be clear. The occupier them. status is always, or the management of the property is always well-formed and under contract law with the exchanges. So there's always a 51% block. Uh, there's always a deemed owner responsible for the property. Uh, and they have reporting requirements on the exchange to make sure the asset is properly managed. Yeah. Brilliant. No, 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 that's okay. great. But, and, and so on the non-critical side, you've also kind of reinvented timeshare. <laughs> <laughs> We're not a, a timeshare. We feel was just absolutely uh, a mess up. There's too much conflicts of interest in any sort of timeshare concept. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't do time. We don't, um, the word time timeshare is, uh, nothing to do with what we're talking about. This is actual, the capital asset, the rights of your asset, the usage. Right. I was, I was, uh, back I, yeah. to, I was thinking about yeah. myself, right? Like, like I'm a genius. Yeah. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to put up, uh, 35% of my house. And then in my own hand-built system, I'm going to create a timeshare for these owners to come visit. Like, well, would you be able to control be, that? Or is that something else that you would say, oh, no, no, no? Under contract law, when you buy the property title certificates uh, on our system, uh, you're contractually bound in the way that you can deal with the property. So it's treated as a, a, a title certificate, a share of the property itself. You don't have, and you, you, in buying that, you, you, uh, you have rights to title, but you don't have uh, rights to, right to use. It's like, like in the banks. The banks have... Um, a percentage ownership um, of the debt, the debt, if you like, but they don't have the ability to come and live in your house. I don't know. I might, I might, I might, uh, might be keen on allowing two or three people to come over. <laughs> yeah, no, but they don't. Yeah, but choose. those girls don't fancy you, James. So you can't, you can't pull that <laughs> one. Look, guys, I'm, I'm very conscious. Uh, you know, I, we've opened up a Pandora's box here, and we're, we're going to ha- definitely have to get you back. I know you're in the process of finalising your existing fund raise so it'll be fascinating once you've got the first exchange in london understand and then you've got another 20 lined up um across various different countries around the world so be we it's a bit like the old cinema thing this film is coming near you soon so uh, (laughs) one of our exchanges will be near you soon but but how do people find out get more information um presumably go on your website tpx trust property exchange or either of you yeah that's the best one to start up 
come, yeah, come and visit us. LinkedIn. Come and say hello. Yep, exactly that. Come on LinkedIn. Look up uh, TPX. Uh, you'll find our exchanges there. Our website is www.tpx-london.io. And uh, it's a good place uh, to start any of your journeys if you want to uh, have a look at what we're up to. Fantastic. And obviously, if anyone wants more information, they can contact James or myself and we'll put you in contact. So, James, an- another show. Um, as I say, well into March now. And um, thanks very much for everything this week again. Please contact myself, uh, Johnny Fry, J-O-N-N-Y-F-R-Y, or James Tiley on Cyber.fm. So, James, thanks so much. And we'll be back on the air next week. <laughs>